Appreciate you moving that binder. And uh, if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I know some of you do bring your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. There's going to be three main texts today that I'll share with you and some uh, cross-references that we'll look at along the way. Before we go any further, I want to pray one more time. Father God, we may pray a half a dozen times in one hour in a service, but each one of them matters. Please answer the prayers that have been lifted regarding this sermon by those that have already prayed for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to share something with you that's been on my heart for a long time, uh, over a decade. Um, it was over a decade when I uh, took on a senior pastor role that I had for many years. And I was a young pastor, passionate to reach my community for the Lord. And I, went, I remember a specific moment when I went into a prayer meeting with some men. And I said, you know, I want us to take full advantage of the power of prayer in reaching our community with the gospel. And I said, what kind of verses come to your minds when it comes to the promises of God or the teaching about praying for the lost? And they all just looked at me and said, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have the answers. I said, well, okay. So it prompted me to do a study that I'd never done before. See, I, I always took for granted the idea that God wants us to pray for the salvation of the lost. And I think we've probably all done that, and maybe we haven't thought too much, what does the Bible actually say about it? And it kind of surprised me what I didn't find. I didn't find a specific passage where Paul or Jesus or anyone else taught specific principles, how do you pray for the salvation of the lost? I was looking for that. I didn't find a story or an illustration of someone praying for the lost as an example of what we could go by. I didn't find that. Um, I didn't find a command to pray for the salvation of the lost, which is interesting because the Bible, the Great Commission, is very specific, isn't it? It's a command. Go forth, preach, baptize, disciple. And I didn't find the verse, go and pray for the salvation of the lost. And... Uh, so I just, I was like, well, how do we go about this? And it became clear to me as time went on that God didn't need to teach us in the Bible specifically about praying for evangelism. Because it doesn't take long for any of us to have the experience where we're excited about what the Lord's done in our life. We go to a friend or a family member and we say, let me share this with you. And they say, all right, go ahead. I'll listen. And we share. And they look at us and they say, that's good for you, and I'm glad that you're excited, but that's not for me. We wait a few weeks, a few days, a few months, we come back and we go, I just wanted to share with you again what the Lord's been doing in my life. And they go, look, I'm not a religious person, I don't want to talk about this anymore. That's good for you, but I don't want to talk about this. And, and I think all of us, to one degree or another, some people have come right out and told us, friends and family, I don't want to talk about religion anymore with you. Other people will sit there and listen with a grin while we go on and on, and they think, whatever. We've had that experience, haven't we? Can, can I get a test? Of, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Stay with me here. So, so God knows at that point, there's only two things that we can do. We live out our Christian testimony, what God's done in our life. We show them that we're different people. And the only other thing we can do is pray. 
And God knew. This is what a lot of people are going to go through. I don't need to tell them to pray. They're going to do it because we all love people in our lives. We want to see them in heaven, don't we? It's a burden on our hearts. We care deeply. And if we can't do anything else, if they've told us, I don't want to hear it anymore, the only thing we can do is pray. And so we're going to pray. So um, there's two scriptures that point to modeling prayer. Now you see the title. Praying boldness for each other in evangelism. What this is going to be about is God doesn't say a lot about us praying for the salvation of the lost, but what he does say is he says a lot about us praying for each other so that we can be better witnesses. And we're going to see that. It's crystal clear, text after text. Praying for boldness, praying for each other. And I just want to come right out in the beginning and say, if we at Shiloh can get the principles of this message today and we get them ingrained in our heart and we practice them, it's going to change this church and this community. That's exactly what I've been praying for for this sermon. I only had since 11 o'clock yesterday morning to pray about it, but, um, you know, in the new year, we want to set New Year's resolutions. We want to see things change in the new year. This is the kind of principle that can do that. So let me show you two quick scriptures. There's only two scriptures, and, and I've had, I've had the, this study with pastoral friends of mine, lay people, professors that I had, and the two scriptures that come the closest to telling us about praying for the lost is this. This is in the context of Paul. He's just been talking about Israel and how God is turning away from Israel primarily and turning more toward the whole world, spreading the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. But God isn't completely done with Israel yet. And so Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire for Israel and prayer to God for them is for their salvation. So Paul doesn't give us a prayer list of specific people. He just says in general for Israel, God isn't done with them yet. And, and there will be some people that will get saved out of the nation Israel, and I'm going to pray for them. And then this text is very general. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. So that's a general prayer. You can pray for anybody you want to. Then he narrows it down specifically to politics. And I, this is another sermon for another day. But folks, we need to be praying for our government officials every day. Because one of the reasons, look at the verse, it says, pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may live, lead a tranquil and quiet life in, the, in godliness and dignity. The reason, one of the reasons our country is being turned upside down morally is we're not praying for our politicians enough. I can guarantee you that's part of the problem. Um, we need to pray for their repentance, for wisdom for them, for a revival among our judges, our sheriffs, president, local, state, federal level. Um, because wickedness continues to expand and righteousness in the government is shrinking. We need to take up that challenge. So then the text goes on. There we go. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, and he doesn't say pray for the salvation of the lost, he just says, who desires all men to be saved. So pray for people in general, pray for politicians, because you can't go wrong praying for people because he would desire that people be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So those two texts come the closest to 
that whole idea of praying for salvation. Now that we've established that, and I know we're going to be praying for the lost anyway, let's get into this new area. And I know that there are people here that we pray for each other to be better witnesses. I've heard you pray those prayers, but let's study it out. Verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray. Now, you notice the word all four times in this verse. So I don't have you read the verse with me like Stan does, but I have you do those key words. Play along, if you will. Every time do we come to the word all, with how much prayer? All. Petition, pray it how many times? All times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. All the saints persevering through the difficulties at all times in the Spirit. So uh, this text starts off with prayers and petitions. Prayer is a general request. And a petition is something very specific. So we have general requests, we have specific things. And this is Paul, right after he's just given the whole text about the armor of God and spiritual warfare, he goes right, right into what I like to call the breathing spiritually. We feast on the Word of God, that's our food, but our breathing is our prayer life. Which is why Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Because if you stop breathing, you stop living. When you stop praying, you're spiritually dying. Not that you're going to lose your salvation or spiritually die, but your weak, low spiritual oxygen level, you got to pray constantly. So we got the specific prayer requests. We pray at all times. That means whether things are good or bad. Whether it seems like all the forces of evil are against us or everything seems to be going smoothly, God says you still need me when everything looks easy, just as much as when everything looks difficult. So uh, be on the alert with all perseverance. To be on the alert, it's like this heightened state of awareness. I always think about when I was lobstering, I spent many, many years lobstering. I was on this particular boat with a captain that was very good to me. We got along, we made a lot of money. And I remember one day we used to go out in the wintertime in 12 to 15 foot seas, as long as they were 12 to 15 seconds apart, we could handle it. When they got closer and closer, we stayed home. But So we would be up and down. Buoys way down there. Six seconds later, the buoys way up there. And he'd be going, Jim, today we need to be vigilant. We need to be on the alert. Because when you're out there in January, people get mangled. And whenever I think about being on the alert and being vigilant... It doesn't, you know, lobstering, it was just an everyday occurrence, but we had to be ready and on the alert. And when we're witnessing and when we're doing the work of God, we have to be on the alert because the devil's trying to destroy our lives. But, you know, we can't live in a constant state of heightened adrenaline or we wear out. So that's why it says be on the alert with all perseverance. And the only way that you have perseverance is by sucking in that spiritual breath constantly of prayer and feeding on the power that the Lord gives. That way you can maintain alertness and perseverance and not wear out. So he says, uh, pray. It skipped. Did it skip? No, it didn't. Here we go. 
this remotes, see, this is just one of those distractions that we're not going to let distract us, amen? These little trinkets that we rely on. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in the last 40 years in Christianity in general, we've become a lot more casual than we used to be. You notice that? Casual's good, but flippancy is bad. We have to be sober before the Lord. We have to be reverent. We can pray without ceasing, but we can't take God casually even if we're praying all throughout the day. Sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Come on, puppy dog. Work with me. Oh. Look at that. There we go. That's about a five-second delay right there. Um, and I'm going to just keep going to the next. This, uh, the, the prophet Samuel, I've got to do this real quickly. Prophet Samuel says this one little phrase in the middle of this verse that gets my attention. He says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Have you ever noticed that when you're not praying like you should, there's this thing in the back of your mind telling you, you know you should be doing better. There's people that need your prayers. And when the Lord is convicting you about something and you don't instantly repent and get to praying like you know you should, it's just, there's that sense of conviction. And the Lord says, there's a, and Samuel says, there's a reason for that. Because when we're not praying, we're not being all that we should be for the Lord. In fact, we're sinning. So Paul says, pray on my behalf. I'm an apostle. I'm a guy that's seen and done miracles. I've been called personally by Christ. I've seen masses of people come to the Lord. This is in Paul's first uh, imprisonment. He says, even though I've seen so much productivity for the Lord, I need you to pray for me. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, imagine Paul locking up when he had a chance to witness. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul getting frozen and not being able to open his mouth for the Lord. He says, if you guys aren't praying for me, there's a chance that I, Paul, might drop the ball when I have opportunity. Paul's just a man. He's a great role model. But without the prayers of the Ephesians and all the churches, he wouldn't be all that he could be. So he says, take Take, uh, make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So the gospel is a mystery to the lost, isn't it? We've tried to witness to people, and they look at us when we talk about the Lord like we've got lobsters crawling out of our ears. I mean, you expect me to believe a carpenter 2,000 years ago, blah, 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 and they just, their eyes glaze over. It's a mystery to them. And Paul says, without the power of prayer backing me, the mystery is going to go on to be a mystery. People aren't going to get it. I'm not going to be able to find the people that God's working on. And the big B word there in the, in the verse that we all need, boldness. You don't have to raise your hand. You and I, it's just, it's just us here today. We know that we've had moments when we weren't bold. Isn't that true? Because we have to confront people with a message that goes completely against their nature. My friend, I love you. 
you're on your way to hell because you're a sinner. Because without turning from your sin and turning to Christ, there is no hope for you. You can't save yourself. No prophet, no Buddha, no anyone can save you but Christ. There's only one way. I remember preaching that to crowds of people that I loved, and I remember seeing the anger in their face at the knowledge that Christ was it. And I had the boldness only through prayer to be able to tell them that. And then they make their own decision. But Paul needed boldness. I need boldness. You need boldness. Because when it comes to witnessing and you telling people, not just general, Jesus loves you, Jesus wants to save you, but getting down to the real gospel message. God wants to change you if you'll let him. People don't want to hear that. I'm fine. So without prayer. So verse 20, For which I am an ambassador in chains, and that in proclaiming I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He knew that he needed to do that, and he knew that we needed to do it. And I think about Paul. Paul in this text, and in the text we're about to look at, he doesn't give a prayer list for the healing of people. He does that in other places. He's not giving a, this person needs to be healed from this and from that. He doesn't say this person needs a financial help because their bills are due. He gets right down to the most important thing. All those things are good prayer requests, but if these people don't get saved, and if I don't have the boldness to actually talk to them and open my mouth and say the truth to them, nothing else matters. Whether they get healed, whether they have their provisions or not, if they go to hell, it'll be because I didn't speak and because you didn't pray and because we didn't have the power of God backing us in the ministry that makes an eternal difference. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Colossians chapter 4 with me. Another text for us to work our way through. Devote yourselves to prayer. And notice again, keep alert. In it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourselves. The Greek word indicates to be steadfast, to endure, to be courageous, to be persistent, to hold fast, to not let go. That's the kind of prayer life that changes things. And the reason the Bible reminds us in many places to persist is that in prayer is because God never intended prayer to be easy. I don't know if you remember what uh, Martin Luther used to say. Uh, the first 10 minutes, I'm loath to be in prayer because it's so difficult. The last 10 minutes, I'm loath to leave. You ever had that experience in prayer? It's a battle sometimes to get rolling. Your mind, the distractions, even the spiritual warfare at place that you don't even see or sense, don't let this guy pray. Don't let him connect or her connect with the very throne of the Almighty of the universe because something will happen that will downplay our evil agenda. Your brain, your flesh, we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your own brain, by its nature, doesn't want to connect with God. Your soul does, but your weakened flesh doesn't. And it's a battle. So he says you've got to be thankful and if you're thankful, and if you're thinking about what God has done and is doing in your life, that's the best way to get your prayers rolling. If you do that, God, you've saved me from eternal damnation. Start there. 
and just roll through the thanksgiving list and be devoted to it and hang on to it. John MacArthur says, true prayer often involves struggling and grappling with God, proving to Him the deepest concern of one's heart. Prayer is to be a persistent, courageous struggle from which the believer may come away limping. Prayer can be a battle. Amen? There are forces that don't want us to pray because prayer will change things. You're awful quiet. Prayer changes things. The fact that you ask God makes Him do things. John MacArthur also said there is a tension between boldness and waiting on God's will. That tension is resolved by being persistent, yet accepting God's answer when it finally comes. So sometimes God rigs it so that uh, we'll be alone, just Him and, and us. But we also need to be alert. And I think about the, the, uh, the apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, will you not watch and pray with me? And they, they had no idea what he was in for. And when Jesus asks you to pray, you ought to be praying, amen? And they were falling asleep. They weren't on the alert. They, they hadn't learned this being on the alert, being sober, and grappling on and staying connected with, with God. In Romans, this whole thing I just mentioned about thanksgiving. Put th but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So be thankful, like I said, that God saved you and changed you and He can change others. But thanks be to God for giving us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If God has the power to save your soul, which is the greatest miracle in the world, as you study miracles and you study the Bible, there's nothing greater than the salvation of a soul. God takes, Ephesians 2, you are dead in trespasses and sins. He takes someone who is spiritually, literally dead and gives them life and makes them born again. That's a greater miracle than the raising of Lazarus. And God has done that miracle time and again. And it's amazing. We never must uh, let that amazement leave us. He says, God has given us the victory through Christ. Don't forget that. It's easy to feel like we're defeated. Don't let it go. Don't forget about it. So in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word. Paul knew Doors of opportunity open, not at random, but because people are asking. Paul knew, I can work and work and work for the Lord, and nothing can happen. But if we pray, doors can open. So he says, pray for that. And then he says, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, and there's that mystery again, for which I have also been imprisoned. Um. Here in 1 Corinthians, he says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective service has opened to me. Paul had the wisdom to identify where God was working and go there. And there are many adversaries. Even though the prayers had worked 
Ephesus was an open door, and he knew that productivity was coming. He also knew he was going to have to face those spiritual adversities as well. So this whole idea of an open door, this is what we've got to be looking for. Now, when it comes to evangelism, we have those experiences I just described. People say, I don't want to hear it anymore. But if you're actively praying, actively looking, actively living out your testimony in the community, at some point, it may be, a, a, it may be tomorrow, maybe a month from now, maybe a year from now, you're going to come across somebody where God has opened the door. In a few minutes, we're going to see the illustration of the fruit being ripe and ready. Have you ever had the experience of how easy it is to lead someone to salvation when God has opened the door, made the fruit ripe, and it's hanging and ready? They, it's almost like they come to you and go, I need salvation, just tell me how to do it. And they mean it, and their lives are never the same. And it's real. And that's so much easier, isn't it, than us banging our spiritual noggin against souls that God has not worked in yet. And we just keep offending them, frustrating them. We frustrate ourselves. Then we get discouraged. And then we don't witness anymore. I've witnessed everybody I know and care about. What am I going to do now? And we just kind of lock up and the, and the devil wins. But Paul knew there are open doors. You just can't shut off to them. You have to be ready for them. They're there. The fruit can be ready. Pray at the same time for us as well. God may open this door. And uh, for me, at the end of the verse, he says, for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul paid the ultimate price. First he was imprisoned. He got out, he was imprisoned again, and then he was beheaded for the cause of Christ. What would Paul's ministry have been like if he hadn't had so many prayer warriors backing him? You ever think about that? Would he have gotten out of prison the first time? Would some of the churches that were planted been planted? Would some of the souls been reached by him or by someone else? What would his, what would his ministry have been like if he didn't have people helping him? So, like I said, you see in this verse the mystery of, the, of Christ. And one of the reasons why we don't witness like we know we should is because we're intimidated that somebody... If, if, if Christianity is a mystery to the lost, then that means they're going to have questions. Well, what about this? Did Adam have a belly button? i got to know before I can get saved. They're going to have... Some of their questions are going to be dumb. Some of them are going to be really practical and important. What role does repentance really pr play in me getting saved? I've heard guys on TV talk about this. And what about all those weird guys that just want your money on TV? What about them? And, and what about the Bible? Is it real? So I know you're familiar with this text. Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, meaning get zeroed in on Christ always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks. Anyone that asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We're going to see this theme of how we talk to people here. It's gentleness and reverence. He, uh, we're going to see Paul talk more about how we talk to people in a minute. This is You notice that this is a command and not a suggestion. 
every Christian, no matter where we're at, how many years we've been saved, how much we've studied and prepared, we're always preparing. It's like training. Someday somebody's going to ask you. You need to be ready. The verse says being ready to answer them. Not a perfect answer. Not a perfect apologist with a PhD, but something that the Lord can use to further the planting and watering of the seed of the gospel in their heart. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? The answers that you may give may not make them get saved that day, but they'll just water the seed. The Bible is reliable. The question they had was answered enough to uh, make them keep thinking about it. So verse 4, that I may make it clear, again, the gospel is hard to understand, but if you pray for me, I can make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity because the opportunities are there. Don't let them go by. You get that, folks? See, within a 20, 30-minute driving distance, Shiloh Chapel, radius around Shiloh Chapel, in this coming year of 2024, God is going to save people in a 30-minute driving distance of this location. The question we got the opportunities. It's going to happen. I have no doubt God's going to save people. There's thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people within 30 minutes of this location. There's how many people here? Let's say 30 or 40 people here. Let's say you guys know 100 people each. 3,000 people that you're going to have some form of contact with in the next year. Opportunity. Look at the verse. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. The question is, are we going to reach those people that are in our circle of influence? Are we going to let some other church that's within that 30-minute driving distance reach them? Because they're going to get saved. God will draw people. The Holy Spirit will convict people. People's hearts will be ripened and ready. Are we going to reach them, or is God going to have to use somebody else? They're coming. He's going to work. He's going to move. He says, you guys can do it. You guys can get the eternal reward of leading someone to Christ, of seeing them baptized, added to the church, discipled and grown. Or some other group of people can get that reward. And I'm not trying to come down hard. I'm trying to get you the, the passion, the vision. It's not like we have to go out and make the opportunities. They're there. It's not like we have to go out and plow the ground hard. God does that. We just spread the seed and He makes it grow. This isn't difficult. If we're prayed up, if we're willing. I keep thinking about the purpose for which Shiloh was founded. I think about what this building was dedicated to do over a hundred years ago. It was a big vision, wasn't it? And the fact that this church is still here means that the vision isn't dead. There were locations all over the world dedicated to God, to the coming of Christ, to the gospel of the word of God. 
And over 100 years later, this place is still here. And I, I think it's, and Stan and I prayed about this for months. It's time to reclaim the passion to not just meet, to not just worship, to not just pray, to not just take communion and bless each other, but to see souls saved. This is like, uh, I think about New Year's resolutions, and Rod has talked about it, this coming New Year. Could we pray and believe with all of our hearts that in the next 12 months someone could be saved and added to this fellowship. I was talking to Stan. When I, when I was in, um, some of you may not know all my background, I went to seminary at Liberty Baptist Seminary, and they used to talk to us about the different kinds of evangelism, or the uh, different kinds of church growth. You have church growth through evangelism. You have church growth through people that are already saved from other churches transferring to your church. And you have biological evangelism where people get birthed and raised in the church. And we had a little bit of that this last year. We had some biological evangelism and baptism. And we had some other people that were saved recently and added. So what Stan and I pray for all the time, and we want to help you guys be fully equipped and ready to do this, is to see this coming year not, and we'll take anybody, transfer, biological, or evangelism, we'll take any kind of growth, but we want to see people that, aren't, that right now are lost, at this moment, a year from now, be in this building with us, saved. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. we got to pray. So remember, this whole text is a prayer request. Paul says, pray and, and live out speaking to people seasoned with salt. Now, when I think of seasoned with salt, I think of salty talking sailors, but that's obviously not what this is about. This is about when you're eating something bland, you add a little salt, and then you want more. When people listen to you talk about Christ, are they like, ugh, this is bland, or do they want more? Are you wetting their appetite for Christ, or are you pushing them away and annoying them? There's a way to make people want more Christ. And we pray for that, so that we will know how you should respond to each person. Meaning there are people that are going to come up and talk to you. I've heard you're a Christian. Tell me about that. I've heard a lot of things about Shiloh. What's that place really like? You're not even going to be looking for opportunities and they'll just come to you sometimes. we got to make sure that we don't do anything to push people away, Right? We're going to have opportunities, and we don't want to... I told you we, we instinctively pray for the lost, and the, other, the only other thing that we can do is live out our testimony. And, and Paul wants us to make sure that we don't do anything to distract people from Christ, that we don't live lives of hypocrisy before them, that we are genuine, that we are winsome. So um, 
And then in Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. I have a problem with my mouth. Stan has a problem with his mouth. Many of you in here know you have a problem with your mouth too. Some of you don't know you have a problem with your mouth. <laughs> Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. I've seen churches where the people will go into the community and they will talk to the lost about the church. Sometimes they criticize other members, sometimes the pastors, sometimes I wish they would do this, but they do that. Don't do that. It destroys the church. People say, why would I ever go there? Cussing, gossiping, joking, stuff that's just plain not wholesome. Don't let it come out. Close your mouth. I'm about to say that. I know you want to say that, but stop talking. We have a bigger agenda here than just you getting this stuff out of your brain. Look at it. It says, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. We're going to have moments when we're going to say things we're going to regret. It's never going to be perfect until we're in heaven. But let's take this command and use it and pray this for each other. Lord, help Stan when he's out in the community delivering oil to say something seasoned with salt for the moment. And pray that for all of us. All right, let's turn to the final text. If you have your Bible, we conclude here in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And uh, he's just going along and he's doing what we should be doing. He's looking for opportunity and he's making the most of every opportunity he gets. He sees the people and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like people without a shepherd. Now, people, we have a, a, either a shepherd or a sheep nature. It's one or the other. Um, and people need guidance. We need guidance from Christ. We need guidance from under shepherds. And Jesus saw these people are lost. They have no guidance spiritually because the Pharisees and the Sadducees are as lost as they are. Their spiritual leaders are of no help to them. And it just hurt him. And he felt compassion for them. And he says in verse 37, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus had a capacity that we don't have. He could look at people and just sense, tell the condition of the heart. Uh, to some degree, we can acquire that wisdom, especially if we're praying for it. He says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He didn't say, pray for these people to get saved. Did he? He said, I know that there are people ready right now. There's no need to do anything else except for somebody to step up and go and for those of us to pray for all the other believers as well so that if they're the ones that encounter the ripened harvest they're ready if we're the ones that do it they've been praying for us so we're ready and we're all prayed up 
nothing wrong with praying for the salvation of the lost, but what are we told to do by Paul in Ephesians, by Paul in Colossians, by Christ himself here? Pray for evangelists. There's not enough of us. We need more. There are more souls available for salvation than there are evangelists to reach them. Pray that they'll be sent and that they'll make a difference. You notice, by the way, in verse 37, right at the end of the slide in yellow, it says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is, is plentiful. What is the harvest? The book of Joel, the book of Revelation. Uh, later on in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about uh, the sickle, and how he, he reaps the world. Some are harvested and sent to eternal punishment. Some are harvested for eternal reward and the kingdom of Christ. There's going to be a harvest going on at all times. People will be dying. Eventually the whole world will be harvested. And there's always people that have been prepared. John MacArthur again, he says, The Christian's first responsibility is not to go out and start working as soon as he sees a need, but to come to the Lord in prayer that we might have the Lord's help to do the work. So, let me go quickly. And uh, this is one, this is, obviously this is the last verse before, um, um, what's the, the chapter number after nine? Is it ten? Okay. Brain freeze. Chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12 and he commissions them to have authority to be able to cast out demons and spread the gospel. In chapter 10, this is what he says just before he sends them out and empowers them to become the apostles. In a different text, in Luke chapter 10, this is later on with Jesus is sending out the 70. He says in Luke 10, 1 and 2, this is, remember, this is a different situation, a different time, but he says the exact same thing. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and sent them in in pairs ahead of him into every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he came and sang to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the lost? No. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we got to be praying for each other. I'm going to run through this text quickly again because I want you to get this fully get this idea of the harvest. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already we have, uh, he who reaps is receiving wages. We do get rewarded for our efforts in God's kingdom. I preached about that last year. Uh, in gathering fruit for eternal life. Like I said, healing, financial, whatever the other prayer requests are important, but nothing like the fruit of eternal life. So that uh, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in the case, in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I remember <laughs> when I was pastoring and I witness to this one person so many times, and then one of my deacons leads him to the Lord. I got a little jealous, I said. But then I, I went and I talked to him. I said, uh, I sowed, you reaped. We each had a part to play, you know? I don't need to be jealous. That I, I got 
part of this process as well. I sowed, you reaped. We, uh, we're going to get a reward, and that person's going to get eternal life, and this is all good. The point is, you can't get discouraged if someone doesn't get saved because you've witnessed. You've planted a seed. You've done a good thing. What if you never lead another soul to Christ? And you knew it. God came to you and said, you're never going to lead anyone to Christ again. Would that stop you from spreading seed? Or would you go, okay, I'm not going to be one that reaps. I'm going to be the one that sows. I'm never going to lead someone to Christ, but I'm going to, as often as I can, I'm just going to keep telling people about Christ. And I'm going to set up the scenario for someone else to score. Allie, you? It's like in basketball, you have the score and you have the assists, right? The assist is important. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So that's the harvest, and that's what we have to pray for. Would you stand with me? So I've, I've said basically everything that the Lord's put on my heart today. I just really want to ask you to take up this challenge. And I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up or come forward or any of that. I'm going to ask you to take up the challenge I'm offering you today. That you're going to take this this whole idea of praying for other people seriously to pray that they will reach people for the Lord. If I pray for Rod, and I pray for Linda, and I pray for James, and then they're praying for me, and they're praying for each other, and we're all supported on a daily basis, lifted up, bathed in prayer, and empowered. You ever been witnessing, and it surprises you, the stuff that comes out of your mouth? Where did that come from? God was working. Somebody might have been praying. What could God do and use us to accomplish in the next 12 months that He wouldn't do if we weren't praying like we ought to? If we pray like we never have prayed before for each other's evangelistic efforts, what could happen? So I'm asking you to take that challenge. To make a commitment today, whether it's in this moment before the service ends or later today in your personal closet of prayer, Lord, I'm going to pray every day. And I'm not just going to make some general play, help us to be better evangelists. I'm going to pray for Andy when he's out on the road. Help him, Lord, to reach someone. He may, may never see that person at a truck stop again. But if he can say something that plants a seed, maybe someone else will reap the harvest. For Rod, when he's out on his job site, Plant a seed. Maybe he'll harvest. Maybe he won't. Pray for the people by name. Pray specific prayers. And see what God will do. I'm asking you to take that New Year's challenge before you, just you and the Lord, and to do it every day. And what I'd like you to do, rather than putting your hand up or coming forward, if you make that commitment, and if this has touched your heart, would you come and tell me? If not today, maybe next Sunday or some other time, you tell me, you remember that thing you talked about last week? I've been doing that since then. And if you want a prayer partner, if you say, I want to be a better evangelist, come up to me and say, would you be a prayer partner? Would you pray for me by name every day? And I'll pray for you. Do that with me. Come right up to me to stand. 
because I want to know specifically, if this has touched you and you want to live it out, I want to name you. I want to pray for you. And I want to expect to see fruit. So that's my New Year's challenge to Shiloh, to each one of you. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking specifically before this crowd by faith that a year from now, someone who's lost, we will have reached and they will get baptized and they will become a part of this body. Please do that. Please let our prayers make a difference in each other's lives. Move among us. Let this be a fork in the road where Shiloh gets reinvigorated for a greater work than ever done before here. Use Stan, use myself. And I pray in Jesus' name. Use all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to also volunteer. Stan and I have known each other longer than we've known any of you. <laughs> he knows my heart, I know his. And I told him I was going to do this today. Um, if you need anything, um, Stan knows that I have experience and training that he may not have, and God sent me here to help. I'm not looking for a title. I'm not looking for recognition. If you call me PJ, that's an honorary term because I'm not looking for an office or a position or any kind of authority. I'm here to help you. And if you have a question, if you need counseling, if you need prayer, if you need someone to talk to, pastoral help or otherwise, uh, I'm volunteering. And you can call me and you can reach out to me anytime you need something. And uh, we'll see what the Lord will do. God sent me here to help Stan because he knew Stan would need it. Amen. <laughs> All right, come on up, guys, and let's close. And by the way, before I forget, uh, there wasn't planned to be any prayer and praise, but there are some people that want to share some prayer requests real quick. And we can meet in the fellowship hall for a few minutes. And if you want to, we don't have any refreshments like we normally do. There is coffee? Okay, good. And I was going to say, you can get a water out of the fridge and we can sit down for a few minutes. We can pray for each other for evangelism as well as any requests we have. And Linda said, any kids that want to join her uh, for a few minutes, uh, she has some uh, things she can do with them. So we'll, we will go out in the fellowship hall for just an abbreviated prayer and praise. Thank you.